Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, I'd like to welcome you again as we continue in our study in this wonderful book of Exodus. Let's uh, pray to God before we begin. Father, we understand that as we open this great book of yours, the Bible, that, Lord, we need the Spirit of God to open our hearts, to teach us, open our eyes. And so we pray for him to teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you'd follow along here, as just read again these, this passage here in um, Exodus chapter 3. And uh, beginning here in uh, verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. All right, now, in our last study, as we were looking at this, we saw how God encountered Moses at this burning bush, and what God said to Moses revealed to Moses and to us just exactly who God is. So it's very, very important, this passage here. First, we learn from verse three who the person was who spoke to Moses. It's interesting when we look at this because we see that the Lord, and when we look carefully here at the King James, we see this word capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. This is, these are some of the most important words for God 
that we need to really hone down on, focus in on in the Old Testament. And these two words, which are so vitally important, are the two words Elohim and Jehovah. Now, the King James translators have helped us out because whenever they have used this word, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, they are indicating to us that in the original, that is the special word for God, which is, which is spelled in the Hebrew letters, yod Hey vav Hey or Y-H-V-H. So the original language has this spelling here, Y-H-V-H, and the text which is used for the Hebrew here called the Masoretic text has for the, the words in the Bible, it has consonants and vowels. In Hebrew, we call them the vowel points, and so they're added much of the time in Hebrew. The vowel points are not added or not used, and we just know by reading and recognizing the words how we just sort of subconsciously just put in the vowel points. We know how to pronounce the words. So the Masoretic text has the consonants and the vowels, so it's very clear for it, except this word does not have the vowel points in it. It doesn't have the vowels. So it's just it's sitting there as Y-H-V-H. You can't pronounce that. And some don't even try to pronounce this word, but instead they look at this and they substitute another word for God, which is not this word. They say the word Adonai. So when they see this Y-H-V-H appear, they don't even try to pronounce it. They just say Adonai. But this word is not Adonai. Adonai means master. But Adonai, like I said, is not this word. And the King James translators used another word, obviously, for Adonai, and it's not all capital letters. And so they helped us here to know when the word Adonai was really there. So what's used for Adonai is the word Lord, capital L, small o, small r, small d. So when you see that in the Bible, capital L, small r, small o, small r, small d, that's the word Adonai. But this word that's appearing here, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is not the word Adonai, it's this word Y-H-V-H. Now, some people add vowels to it. They add the vowel uh, o, and ah. So when you put that together with the consonants there, Y-H-V-H, it comes out Yehovah, Yehovah. So whenever you see in the King James all these capital letters, L-O-R-D, it's an indication that it's the word Yehovah, or we say Jehovah, Jehovah. So that's one of two very, very important words for God. And we have to focus on that when we look at the Old Testament and just to really key in when we see these capital letters there to understand that that's the word Jehovah. And whenever you see the all caps for L-O-R-D, that's the word Jehovah. Now, for the other most important word for God in the Old Testament is whenever you see the King James word God spelled capital G, small o, small d, that's an indication that the word Elohim is appearing in original. That's the other most important word, very important word, Elohim. Why is it important? Elohim is a plural word. The ending im is the common ending in Hebrew for plural, for to express plurality. Elohim is a plural word. So that's the word for God that refers to the three persons of the triune Godhead. That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
So the word G-O-D, God, spelled capital G, small o, small d, represents Elohim. It represents the Trinity, the triune nature of God, the three persons of the Godhead, each one God and together God. That's the great meaning of the most important prayer in the Bible, which is the Shema for the Jewish people. Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, which says, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, and again, that's not really the word Adonai, that's Jehovah, but because the Jewish people don't usually say it, they substitute the word Adonai. So anyways, it's, that's the way it's said. Shema Yisrael is really Jehovah. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu. Eloheinu is the word God, for it's Elohim, but the plural, uh, the uh, possessive on the end. So it's, it's Elohim, but our God's comes out Eloheinu. And then it says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai, in other words, Jehovah again, Echad, which is the one. So that's a very, very important statement there in Deuteronomy 6.4 because what it's saying is it's saying that all three persons in the Elohim Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are all one together. They're one in a composite unity expressed by the very important word of Echad, in the Bible, so that's very, very important. Whenever you see this, and you look at Deuteronomy 6.4, and you will see capital L-O-R-D, all capitals, then you'll know that that's representing Jehovah, and Jehovah is one person of the Elohim Godhead. Who is that person? That's the person of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So whenever you see the King James words, all capital of L-O-R-D, spelled out, it's referring to Jehovah Jesus. That's why we call him Jehovah Jesus, to be clear about it. So how do we know that our passage here is God in the burning bush, is really the Lord Jesus Christ in the burning bush? Because this is the only passage in the Old Testament where God has identified himself as the great I am. This statement is gonna come, and we're gonna find it, it's gonna come right to it. It's right there in verse 14, where God identifies himself, and he says, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. That's very important, why? Because this is the place, the burning bush, the calling of, the revelation of God to Moses, the calling of Moses to go deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, when Moses comes, to the people of Israel in Egypt, he says, I am sent me to you. So that became the buzzword for God. That became the name for God among the people. I am, the great I am, has sent Moses. We're gonna be delivered, and they were delivered. Who were they delivered by? The great I am. So this person who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush, identified as Jehovah, was the great I am. He identified himself as the great I am. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, when having a confrontation with his enemies in John chapter eight, he identified himself as the great I am, and uh, for which he suffered the attempt on his life because they knew exactly what he was saying. But the very, very important statement that he made was in John eight twenty four, where he said to them crystal clear, he put it this way, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. 
For if ye believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. That was a crystal clear statement that he made where he claimed to be the great I am. And of course, this has tremendous implications and meanings for the Jewish people. He is the one who is speaking from the burning bush. He is Jehovah Jesus, according to his statement here. And what he's saying here is that unless unless a person believes that he is, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the great I am, who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush, there's no way, there's no way that a person can be saved from their sins and go to heaven. The fact that Jehovah is Jehovah Jesus is the great secret that's kept, that, that is not known by the majority of the Jewish people. They don't know it today. They don't know it. But for any person, any Jewish person, but any person for that matter, who who, who, gets, who comes to the great revelation that Jehovah is Jehovah Jesus, this then makes it possible for that person to be saved from their sins and go to heaven. So the next step after understanding that, the Jehovah, that Jehovah is Jehovah Jesus is to fully trust in Jehovah Jesus who became a man, the only sinless man that ever lived and died and allowed himself to have all of our sins placed on him and then died for our sins. So unless a person believes that it was Jehovah Jesus from this passage here, as we're referring to him here in the burning bush, that it was Jehovah Jesus who became a man and died for our sins, he can't be saved. He can't be saved according to his words. That's why from time to time when the Bible and when we come to it here, the Old Testament, uses all cap letters for L-O-R-D, for Jehovah. That's why I'll say from time to time, Jehovah Jesus, when I see that. That's why it's good for you to say to yourself as you're reading the Bible, Jehovah Jesus, to make it crystal clear who we're talking about. Why? Everybody talks about God. Oh, every religion, God, 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 everything. God bless you and God this and God this and thank God. Who is that? Who might that God be? Who is the person? That's the question. That was the question on which Paul was saved when he said, who art thou, Lord? In other words, who are you, God? And then, on the road to Damascus, and then God revealed himself to Paul by saying, I am Jesus. So when a person comes to the realization that they're talking about Jehovah Jesus, God Jesus, makes all the difference in the world. So we can see now that is so important, and what else we recognize from this is now we've talked about the two very important words of Jehovah, all caps, L-O-R-D, and Elohim, big G, small O, small D, God, in, in, in how it's designated there. And now, with that in mind, and when we look at verse four, it's very interesting because it reads like this. And when Jehovah saw that he turned aside to see Elohim, called unto him out of the midst of the bush. Now, wait a second now. <laughs> so it seems like double talk, right? Because we're talking about Jehovah and now Elohim is the same person. How are we to understand this? How are we to understand the fact that Jehovah and Elohim are used interchangeably? They're used synonymously, it seems like. Well, how are we to understand that? We understand this interchangeable use of Jehovah and Elohim, just like we're reading here in verse four, by the words that the Lord Jesus Christ said when he clarified this situation to us 
in John 10.30 with a very simple statement when he said, I and my Father are one. Now that's in the Greek New Testament, and we understand very clearly that when he said that, of course in Hebrew, that he would have said, I and my Father are echad. In other words, I and my Father are echad, and when he used the word echad, and you speak of God, immediately goes back to the great Shema of Deuteronomy 6.4. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, or Jehovah Adonai. Hear, O Israel, Jehovah Eloheinu, Jehovah Echad. So in other words, he's saying here the same thing as John 10.30 in the great Shema. As Jehovah is our gods, is Elohim, is together with the Elohim, is part of the Elohim and that Jehovah is Echad. In other words, Jehovah Jesus is part of the Elohim. Jehovah Jesus is part of the Echad. He's together. And that's what he said there in John 10.30. And then he further went on to say in John 5.17, the Lord Jesus Christ said, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. So that gets down to the question of, well, exactly how are they Echad? They are Echad, they are together. For example, here in one aspect, they both are doing the same work. See, they're working. They're different persons, but they're doing the same work. My father works here, the two, and I work. So God, the Lord Jesus Christ, or is so one, he is so echad with the Father and God the Holy Spirit, you can't separate them. That's the point. You can't separate them. That's why they're used synonymously here in our verse here in, in Exodus three, four, because you can't, you can't pull them apart. You can't separate them. The three persons of the Godhead in the Elohim are as linked together in their thought, in their character, in their work. They're as linked together with each other as our body and our soul and our spirit is linked to each other. I mean, right now, I'm speaking to you right now. I'm speaking to you now. And so now, here's a question, and so, you might ask me, say, well now who's, what part of you is speaking? Is your body speaking? Or is your soul speaking? Or is your spirit speaking? And I would say, how can you ask a question like that? Of which part of me is speaking? I'm speaking, but there are three parts of me. There is a body here, there is a soul, there is a spirit. And so when you ask the question, which part is speaking? I have to say, they're all speaking. The spirit in me has something it wants to express. The soul in me has the will to express it, and the body is doing the work of expressing it. Well, it's the same way. It's the same way, it's an analogy. But all three persons of the Elohim are engaged in speaking to Moses here. That's why the word Elohim is used, but since no man can see God the Father, and no man can see God the Holy Spirit, the person that Moses saw at the bush was God the Son. So he was the one that was physically speaking. But that's what Jesus meant when he said, I and my Father are one, and my Father worketh hitherto, and I work. It's very important to see this. Now, we come now to verse six in Exodus three, and we saw from verse six that Moses was shocked. He was just shocked. When he got there, he hid his face, and it says he was afraid to look upon God. Sometimes, for example, here, it starts off and it says the angel of the Lord. He says the angel of the Lord, in verse two, appeared unto him. But it becomes very clear that that angel of the Lord is the Lord 
because then Moses goes on to say he was afraid to look upon God. This happens a few times in the Old Testament. Now, why was Moses shocked when God spoke to him? This was probably the lowest time in Moses' life. I mean, Moses, poor guy, he's been on the backside of a, of a desert for 40 years. And we could just imagine how lonely he must have felt. 40 years, it's a long time. And it was a real low watermark in his life. He's separated from his people, he's in a strange land, he's living in a home of an idol-worshiping priest. Um, this was very, very foreign for him. And so he just feels so isolated, Moses does. And so the thing is about Moses is that it was into his loneliness that God broke through, and he broke through with words. God shattered Moses' loneliness by speaking to him. That's how God shatters our loneliness. God, he got, God pierces through the darkness of our loneliness and shatters it with his words, with his words, with the Bible. And so this is what shocked Moses so much, more than anything else. And so when he saw how God saw Moses, cared about Moses, and Moses wasn't aware of God. And that's what really shocked him. You know, it reminds us of a person, a wonderful person in the Bible, where there is before Moses, who twice, twice was cast out of the family and was like Moses, and on both occasions, the Lord appeared to this person and broke the loneliness of this person by speaking to this person. I wonder if you're thinking, oh, can you guess who I'm talking about? Can you guess who that is? It's cast out into the desert. Well, I'm talking about Hagar. Yes, Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid. Sarah's handmaid. She was sent into the desert by Sarah on two occasions, by jealous Sarah and by an angry Sarah, uh, on two occasions. And first, the first time this happened was that Sarah was jealous because Sarah had been responsible for um, Abraham to get Hagar pregnant so that Sarah could have a child. But this backfired on, backfired on, on Sarah because Hagar despised Sarah in her eyes. And so a jealous, a hotly jealous Sarah cast her into the desert pregnant. And so Hagar, we find her in Genesis 16, sitting down by a fountain of water in the desert and she's crying out in her heart to God, evidently. She's crying out to God and because God speaks about hearing her. And Hagar is not just crying out to God for what's gonna happen to her, but the heart of the mother Hagar is so, so moved for her baby, and she's so wondering, what's gonna become of my baby that's not born yet? What's gonna become of my baby? And so God spoke to Hagar there and told her that she should go back to Sarah, that she should submit to her as hard as it was, and God made a tremendous promise to Hagar, and that was that her son, her baby would be a son, and he would become a great multitude of people. And God told Hagar that, that she should name the name of the baby. She, God gave the name of the baby already. God gave the name of the baby to Hagar, and Hagar named the baby that name because that's what God told her to do. 
And the name of the baby is a wonderful name. Now, the Jewish people, most of the Jewish people don't think it's such a wonderful name, but it is. It's a wonderful name because it's a contraction of two words. It's a very special, special name. I told you that the most important prayer for the Jewish people is the Shema. That's how it starts out in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, Shema, it's an important word. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 